Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to Recycle by Eurosport a retrospective series on the most extraordinary riders and races in cycling history. This is another episode of Recycle recorded in isolation, away from the Eurosport studios. Recycle is written by Felix Lowe, narrated by me, Graham Wilgos, and produced by Pete Burton. In our previous episode, we revisited the tragic tale of one of cycling's larger-than-life heroes and Marco Pantani's swashbuckling victory at Madonna di Campiglio in the 1999 Giro d'Italia. It should have been Il Parata's crowning moment. Instead, the Italian's glory was quickly followed by scandal. He was kicked out of the race hours later while still wearing the Maglia Rosa, ending the defence of his title and sending his career and life into freefall. This edition of Recycle sees us wind back the clock a further eight years to ride with another Italian climber reaching for the clouds. In a story of two summits, Spaniard Eduardo Chozas denied Italy's Claudio Chiapucci in the Giro d'Italia's first ever finish in the ski resort of Sestriere in 1991, 14 months before the Italian soloed to victory on the same climb in one of the most magnificent breakaways the Tour de France has ever seen. Claudio Chiapucci's name is synonymous with Sestriere, but a year before the Italian climber broke away to his legendary Tour de France stage win in the Italian ski resort, he came off second best in a test run during the 1991 Giro d'Italia. The man who beat him? Eduardo Chozas a 30-year-old Spanish climber who, that year, would join the elusive club of riders to have finished in the top 20 of each of cycling's Grand Tours in the same season. Now a Eurosport pundit in Spain, Chozas capped a fine team performance as part of an once squad that included 1982 Vuelta champion Marino Lajareta to secure the seventh and last Grand Tour stage win of his career. He did so after a challenging double ascent of Sestriere, staving off a late surge by the man they called El Diablo on stage 13 of the 74th edition of La Corsa Rossa. Denying Chiapucci in front of hordes of Italian fans on the famous climb, 
Chauzas put the celebrations on ice for the disappointed Tifosi, who would return to the climb in their droves during the following year's tour to see their man emerge from the footsteps of the great Fausto Coppi. Its proximity to the border with France means the Col Sestriere is one of the rare climbs used frequently in both the Tour and the Giro, dating back to 1911 when it made its bow in the third ever Giro d'Italia. Lucien Petit-Breton, the Frenchman raised in Argentina, led over the summit en route to becoming the first non-Italian stage winner in the race's history. In 1949, Coppi gobbled up the climb during his majestic Stage 17 win between Cuneo and Pinerolo. Three years later, he capped his epic 190km solo break with victory on the Tour's first ever summit finish at Sestriere, two days after the irrepressible Italian had triumphed on the race's inaugural ascent of Alpe d'Huez. The climb also provided the canvas for one of the best career victories for another rider whose story we've revisited in a previous episode of Recycle, Franco Crazy Heart Potosi. In 1964, in the closing kilometres approaching the summit, the Italian broke clear of compatriots Vittorio Adorni, Gianni Motta and the eventual Giro winner that year, Jacques Oncatil. The Col Sestriere has three possible ascents, two from the west and one from the east. But it doesn't much matter which route you take, as journalist and author Chris Sedwells explains. It's not a long one, nor particularly hard, but iconic because of its strategic location and because of the men who made it so. Other champions to raise their hands aloft over its summit through the years include Miguel Indurain, Bjarni Ries, Andy Hampston, Lance Armstrong, Jose Rujano, Alberto Contador, Fabio Aru, and. Vasil Kirienka. Not to forget, of course, the colourful Chiapucci. But before Chiapi outdid Coppi with a breakaway even more incredible than the great man's 190km effort, he was held at bay by Chauzas. The big favourite for the 1991 Giro was the dark, handsome and chiselled defending champion Gianni Bugno, who cited compatriot Chiapucci as his biggest rival. 12th in 1990, Chiapucci had gone on to finish runner-up in the Tour de France the previous summer, coming within one day in a botched time trial of denying Greg LeMond his third yellow jersey in Paris. Without a podium place all year, LeMond was also on the start list at the 1991 Giro, the American insisting before the Grand Partenza in Sardinia that he intended to be more competitive in Italy than in years past despite riding primarily in preparation for July's tour. If not full-on beef, then there was certainly a thin sliver of Bressola between Le Monde and the rider he dismissively called Cappuccino. Owing his stint in yellow in 1990 to getting in an opening day break that gained more than 10 minutes on the big guns, Chiapucci was viewed by many as a bit of a happy-go-lucky chancer, most notably by Le Monde, who famously described him as nothing more than a bandit. His inability to race against the clock forced him to become a fearless aggressor who needed long-range breaks to get in the mix for the general classification. Truth be told, Chiapucci's attacking instincts might have made him popular with the fans, but it hardly endeared him to his rivals. 
a sweet talker who reportedly put three spoonfuls of sugar in his breakfast muesli, the diminutive Italian was viewed as chippy, notoriously tight-fisted, and, on the bike, a law unto himself. He once came to blows with compatriot Moreno Argentine, who grumbled that he had the legs of a champion, but the mind of a child. In any case, Chiapucci was doing his utmost in 1991 to prove that his breakout tour was no fluke. The 28-year-old Carrera race had taken a leaf out of Bugno's book by winning Milan-San Remo after a long, lone breakaway. His stonking spring continued with victory in the Basque Tour and a podium place in the Flesh Wallon. But when the Giro got going in May, it was neither Chiapucci nor Bugno, and certainly not an out-of-sorts Le Monde, who set the early agenda. It was the Italian Franco Chioccioli of the Del Tongo MG boys team. The 31-year-old had still not got over losing his Malia Rossa to Andy Hampston on the snowy, blizzard-hit Gavia Pass in 1988 and was riding the race of his life. Nicknamed Il Copino, the little copy, because of his resemblance to the Campionissimo, Chioccioli was in pink when the race hit mainland Italy after the opening three stages in Sardinia. Eric Boyer, the Frenchman on Le Mans' Z squad, had wrestled the jersey from Chioccioli for one day. But the Italian was back in the driving seat after Marino Lejareta, the Spanish leader on Eduardo Chozas' Onse team, won a hilly stage in the Abruzzo. But a blistering time trial by Bugno on stage 10 saw the revived defending champion come within one second of Chioccioli's overall lead, with Chiapucci 56 seconds down in fourth. Behind Lejareta and the languid Le Monde more than three minutes in arrears. Suddenly, the pack was stacked in Bugno's favour, until, out of the blue, Bugno cracked on the stage 12 hilltop finish in Monteviso, shipping two minutes on the first day in the Alps as Chioccioli consolidated his lead. On the eve of the stage to Sestriere, his nearest rival was now Lejareta, 30 seconds adrift, with Chiapucci in fourth, a further minute back. The second day in the Alps culminated with a double ascent to Sestriere, a twin bonanza for the Giro's first ever summit finish at the ski resort, situated 2,035 metres above sea level in the Val Susa, 60 Roman miles from Turin, hence its name. This is where our man Eduardo Chozas enters the story. The Spaniard had been playing a support role for teammate La Jareta in what was his 23rd Grand Tour, having arrived in Italy off the back of an 11th place finish in the Vuelta. Still following the old season schedule, the Vuelta, in which La Jareta had finished third behind compatriots Melchor Maori and Miguel Indurain, had come to an end just one week before the Giro's opening stage. In the previous day's opening chapter in the Alps, Chozas supported his team leader before dropping back to take a solid seventh place, a minute behind La Jareta and Chiapucci. While no threat to the GC, Chozas still lurked in 15th, seven minutes and 22 seconds down, and was keen to leave his mark on the race. The mountain stages were my goals to try for stage wins, Chozas says, preferably those of the first half of the Giro, since I had ridden the Vuelta and I knew that the last week was going to be very hard for me due to the accumulation of fatigue. 
A break of 12 went early in the stage and included Chozas Anse teammate Luis Maria Diaz Diotazu. The gap was never very large, forcing Anse to make their move after the first ascent of the Col Sestriere, with Chozas zipping clear in the wake of another rider after an earlier softener from teammate Santos Hernandez. The break didn't have much of an advantage, so I was very attentive to the moves on the final ascent, says Chozas. When an Italian cyclist attacked at the beginning of the final ascent, I went after him and opened up a gap on the peloton. Chozas quickly passed the remnants of the break and, surging through the pine forest to bring the snow-clad peaks into sight, he soon joined up with Hernandez and the Mexican Miguel Arroyo of Le Mans Z team on the front of the race. Behind, it was Chiapucci and the Malia Ciclamino who set the tempo in the group of favourites, flanked by Chiocioli in pink and La Jareta in the eye-catching yellow Anse jersey, the one that changed colour to pink during the tour to avoid confusion with the Mayo Jean. Anse were playing a blinder, the kind of move you expect to see, say, from a modern-day Movistar in the Vuelta, with two men ahead and their leader in the wheels of his rivals a bit further down the mountain. The stage was theirs to lose. A few kilometres from the summit, the gap between the two groups hovered above the minute mark as Chiapucci continued a long, unseated surge on the front. His purple jersey and those trademark blue Carrera shorts elegantly offset by his tanned arms and yellow helmet. It was a combination that, were they a thing at the time, would have merited the hearts in eyes emoji. When I came to the front, I started to set the pace, Chozas says but I saw that it was better to stick with Arroyo for the time being and let my teammate attack. As Hernandez surged clear off the front, Bernesto's Pedro Delgado put in the first move from the pursuing group of favourites, the 1988 Tour de France winner, riding in what was only the second Giro appearance of his career. Delgado was joined by the Frenchman Boyer, before both riders were reeled in when Chiapucci, Chiocioli and La Jareta threw the hammer down to distance the struggling Buño, knocking another nail into the coffin of the defending champion. With sparks flying behind, it was time for Chozas to make his decisive move. I stayed on the wheel of Arroyo for 500 metres and then dropped him with an attack before rejoining my teammate ahead, he recalls. There were just two kilometres remaining, but our gap on the Chiapucci group was not big. Chozas and Chiapucci were not so much two peas in a pod as an apple and an orange in the large, colourful fruit salad that was the Pro Peloton. Calamero, Andriotti, Mondon, Chiapi, Moto Potuto, Indiano. These were all nicknames banded around for the flamboyant 28-year-old Chiapucci. He even liked to call himself the Bionic Man before finally settling on the one that stuck. El Diablo. But the reserved Chozas had no need for such nominal accoutrement. I had no nickname, he explains. My surname is rare enough as it is. While Chiapucci had won a stage and finished runner-up to Le Monde in Paris in 1990, making him a household name in Italy, Chozas had been a consistent performer in Grand Tours over the years, picking up four Tour stage wins and two Giro successes despite never cracking the top five on GC. In fact, Chozas had secured his second tour stage win at Ser Chevalier in 1986 in a way that would become typical of Chiapucci, a break of 150 kilometres 
and a winning margin of six minutes over Le Monde in yellow. I knew Chiapucci well, and watching the images back today, it's clear that he was the strongest of my pursuers, Chauzet says. He was so fast on climbs like that, and the final kilometre was agony for me to hold on to my advantage, which came down to just 15 seconds. I was listening to the Tifosi cheer on Chiapucci. The fans were so close, and I didn't know how I could get the strength to hold on until the end. I was almost over the limit, and it was my mind that made me overcome the difficulties and hold on. Having kicked clear of teammate Hernandez before the Flamme Rouge, Chauzas could practically feel the chasing trio breathing down his neck. Constantly looking over his shoulder and putting in surges out of the saddle, the Spaniard dug deep through the sea of Italian fans to hold on for the third and hardest-fought Giro win of his career. Had the finish been just 50 metres further, Chiapucci could well have picked up a maiden Giro stage win, the Italian eventually crossing the line just one second behind a relieved Chauzas. Lejareta and Chiaccioli arrived two seconds back, with Hernandez settling for ninth place to give Onse three riders in the top ten after a near-perfect collective day in the saddle. Even when I watch it on video now, I get goosebumps because it was such a nail-biting finish, says Chauzas. It's very nice to see as a fan and, for me, remembering the effort I had to put in, the screaming of the fans, the deafening sound of the helicopter above, it was a whole world of sensations that culminated with an explosion of joy, winning at the top of Sestriere. The nature of the win made it the most memorable of Chauzas's career. My most important win was the legendary stage in the 1986 tour with a finish on the Col de Granon in Serre Chevalier, he says. I won after a 150km break, passing over the Col de Var and the Col de Zoire in pole position. That day, I finished more than six minutes ahead of Le Monde and ten minutes ahead of Bernardino. But this stage in Sestriere was just spectacular. With the good weather and crowds on the climb, for me, it was the most beautiful and spectacular victory I ever achieved. Spanish newspaper El Pais celebrated the exhibition laid on by Chauzas and his Onse team, capped by La Jareta sticking with the two Italian favourites to retain his second place on GC, 26 seconds down on Chioccioli. If these three riders confirm their status as the main contenders, the paper noted the significant deficits conceded by the likes of Buño and Delgado, adding the following damning verdict. Already merely anecdotal is the disadvantage of other illustrious riders who have already lost all hope of a high finish, such as the American Greg LeMond and Frenchman Laurent Fignon. The paper quoted Onse director sportif Manuel Says, who claimed his main concern now was Chioccioli, because he is showing that he is capable of responding on the mountain and because it seems that Buño is not at his best. So, what happened next? Says was right to fear Chioccioli most of all, for it was the Italian who held on to the Maglia Rossa in swashbuckling style, winning three stages, two in the Dolomites and the final time trial, and beating Chiapucci by almost four minutes in Milan. An all-Italian podium was completed by Max Lelli, with Bugno, despite a consolatory Stage 19 win, a distant fourth almost 
eight minutes in arrears. Having won the 1991 Giro in commanding fashion, capped by the individual time trial in which he flattened everyone, taking almost a minute off Bugno, Chioccioli begged the press to stop calling him Coppino. But they were having nothing of it. As for Bugno, he would turn things round later that year with victory in the World Championships in Stuttgart, doubling up a year later in Benidorm. And what of the gutsy Lejaretta? His pursuit of pink was undone by a crash on stage 17 on a day Fignon joined Le Monde, who had already quit the race, and withdrew. After shipping six minutes, the 34-year-old Lejaretta dropped to fifth place in the final standings, with Chozas coming home in tenth. If Le Mans' poor performance might have given Chiapucci a boost for the Tour de France, the irrepressible rise of Spanish juggernaut Miguel Ingerain put pay to any such wishful thinking. Le Monde wore the yellow jersey for four days, but eventually finished seventh, while El Diablo won a stage and took the polka dot jersey, but still finished almost six minutes behind in third place, as Big Mig took the first of his five successive tour wins by 3 minutes and 36 seconds over Bugno. That man Ingerain won the next time the Giro returned to Sestriere, in a gruelling 55km time trial from Pinerolo that provided the cherry to the first tier of the cake that was the Spaniard's second Giro Tour double in 1993. Chiapucci, never the best against the clock, even on an uphill parkours, and with a cartoon devil on his helmet, finished four minutes down that day. But a year earlier, El Diablo had turned round his narrow loss to Chozas at Sestriere by recording one of the most staggering wins in cycling history. Forty years after Coppi's signature win in Sestriere, Chiapucci raised his hands aloft in the ski resort during the 1992 tour after a solo break of six and a half hours during the brutally mountainous 254.5km Stage 13 from San Gervais. With the stage finishing in his native Italy and on a climb synonymous with Il Campionissimo, Chiapucci targeted this as an opportunity to showcase his aggressive and unpredictable style against the steady, stoical, metronomic suffocation of the unflashy but clinical Indurain. El Diablo attacked on the Col de Cesi, the first climb of the day, 245 kilometres from the finish, ostensibly in pursuit of the KOM points that would help consolidate his polka dot jersey. He then kicked on at the foot of the Cormet de Rosalin, taking nine riders with him. Chiapucci tackled the next climb, the 37-kilometre-long Col de Isaran, the highest pass in the Alps, as if it were the final ascent of the day, with only Frenchman Richard Varon able to hold on. With snowdrifts either side of him, the Italian went over the top two minutes clear of Varonk causing carnage in his wake, with Le Monde, a Ferrari faced with Indurain's diesel-powered SUV, almost 20 minutes adrift. With Indurain and Bugno in pursuit, Chiapucci held on over the summit of Mont Cenis before securing what the author Richard Moore in his book Etape describes as one of the most extraordinary, almost unbelievable performances in tour history. It was a victory that Chiapucci later put down to lots of passion, stubbornness, suffering and willpower, glossing over the additional boost most riders of that generation enjoyed. Chiapucci later pointedly admitted to an Italian prosecutor 
that he had used EPO since 1993, the year after his win on Sestriere. His victory was made all the sweeter, adding chocolate sprinkles to the frothy milk, if you will, with the news that Le Monde, the man who once dubbed him Cappuccino, was one of 18 riders to finish outside the time limit, almost 50 minutes down. Asked by Moore whether that brought a smile to his face, Chiapucci said, I was already finished with him. After the 1990 tour, he just didn't exist, in my book. But, yeah, it gave me a lot of pleasure to force him out. The man who held him off in Sestriere a year earlier was also happy to see his friend pull off such an emphatic victory on the same summit. I really liked that he won, because he was a very brave and a very good rider, Schilzer says. I also got along very well with him. We had become good friends in his first Giro appearances, where we escaped together in various stages, and he was one of the first to congratulate me after my victory in 1991. Chiapucci might have won the battle at Sestriere in 1992, but the deadly Injurine won the war to secure a second successive tour by more than four minutes on El Diablo. It was the third Grand Tour out of four that saw Chiapucci finish bridesmaid to the polygamous peddler from Spain. In 1993, Chiapucci finished third in the Giro as Injurine won a second successive Malia Rosa ahead of his third Tour de France win. For all his pizzazz, Chiapucci never won a Grand Tour despite a run of six races finishing on the podium. All this while still living at home with his mother, who made vests that his family sold in a small textile shop and at local markets in Lombardy. The vests are of a very good quality flannel, he once said. They are not white, they're buff, but they are very warm and absorbing. Stephen Roche orders them all the time, and several other riders wear them. Chozas never wore a Chiapucci vest, and he never won another Grand Tour stage either. His Sestriere success the 17th and final notch in his career bedpost. Two months later, though, both he and Lejareta rode the Tour, their third of the season, with Chozas the best-placed Once rider in 11th, exactly 21 minutes behind Injurain. Chozas became only the fifth rider in history to finish in the top 20 of all three Grand Tours in the same season, after Raffaele Giminiani in 1955, Gaston Nencini in 1957, Federico Bahamontes 1958, and his teammate La Jareta in 1989. It would be another 19 years before this feat was repeated by Carlos Sastra in 2010. Chozas retired in 1993, aged 33, after two more Grand Tours, taking his career tally to 27, of which he completed 26. It would be another record not matched until Matteo Tosato in 2015, after the Italian also completed 26 Grand Tours. Tosato would add two more before his own retirement, finally completing 28 of his 34 Grand Tours more than anyone in history. Does Chozas perhaps now regret not finishing the 1984 Vuelta, which he quit on the final day? I didn't start the last stage because I wasn't feeling very well for a few days and I had to go to the Giro afterwards, he says. At the time, I didn't think much of it, but perhaps now, with the perspective of time, it would have been wiser to finish the easy final stage to make it 27 out of 27. 
One thing that's certain is that Shozas will be watching stage 20 of the 2020 Giro, should it ever take place, with added interest following his beautiful win in Sestriere. Not only will the Col Sestriere be the final and perhaps deciding climb of the entire race, Shozas will once again be drawing on his experience as a pundit for Spanish Eurosport. An arrival in Sestriere will always be an important stage of the Giro, he says, of the 200km test, which also features the Col dell'Agnello, the Col d'Azoire and Mont Genevre. With a hard profile and many alpine peaks of considerable hardness, only one of the best climbers of the Giro will win. I have always followed the arrivals at Sestriere very carefully since my victory because the winners are usually heavily linked to the history of cycling. A victory in the vein of Chozas in 1991, or Chiapucci one year later, would make stage 20 of this season's Giro d'Italia rather special. This has been another episode of Recycle by Eurosport, written by Felix Lowe and narrated by me, Graham Wilgos, produced by Pete Burton. You can read more from Felix on Twitter at Saddleblaze, and you can find me at Graham Wilgos. Finding Pete on social media is like a digital game of Where's Wally? Good luck. You can, however, easily find Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. If you've enjoyed this or any other episode, please do subscribe, share and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Stay safe, look after each other and join us for our next episode when we're flying back to 1951 with Wim van Est, the first Dutchman to lead the Tour de France. Van Est was forced out of the race while still in yellow, less than 24 hours after plunging into a ravine on the Col d'Urbisque. We revisit his short tenure in the Mayo Jean and the fleeting reign of the Swiss peddler de charme Hugo Coblet.